Hello and welcome to the GA Show here on the 42.ie. My own name is Gavin Casey and I'm joined as per usual by our GA editor, Fintan O'Toole. Fintan, how are things? All good, Gavin. Uh, thank God we booked a hurler, Fintan. Uh, also delighted to be joined by two-time All-Star and Dublin hurler, Liam Rush. Nice to be here, lads. Ah, yeah, it's great to have you, Liam. Um, uh, let's actually start, like, eyes up here, by the way. Like, Liam is wearing normal-length socks, I can assure <laughs> you. That. I feel underdressed, Fintan, I don't know about yourself, but... Uh, We'll be looking at b back on the weekend's action. Uh, as I said, thank God we booked a hurler because that was the only real entertainment, I think, to be found at the weekend. Uh, we might start, though, Liam, like, just look back on Dublin season and your own campaign, if, if that's all right with you. Uh, yeah, go for it. It was a, maybe a, a disappointing way to end things, but how did you feel the season went as a whole? Was there, I suppose there was a kind of a, a pressure put on you guys, given there was a lot of talk about players that weren't there? Um, can yeah. that be frustrating when you're one of the players who are in the in the panel? Oh, massively, yeah. Like, I mean, call a spade a spade. It was a terrible season. We got relegated and then, you know, lost two of our three games. So, and two of them were by quite wide margins. So, you know, bad season, but you just have to learn from that, isn't that the thing? I think we did in 2012, bounced back, uh, ended up in the all semi-final. So, you know, that's the task again. I think, you know, on the positives, we did blow a lot of young players. Probably, you know, too many for the season that was in it. it probably our hand was probably forced, but you know, it, it was. You know, that's the only plus you can take from it. It's got to be pretty frustrating, is it? The, the kind of season on season thing. I mean, like, say, come back to when you won the, the league in 2011, 2012 didn't go so well. 2013, you win Leinster. 2014 mm. doesn't go so well. That's like you're probably sick yourselves of kind of trying to figure out what the. the, the Absolutely, yeah. I mean, when Jack came in first, you know, he probably rubbed a few people up the wrong way, but he was looking for that consistency through, you know performance alone as well to get you your spot, you know. No I mean I think under daily people kinda thought maybe that was the issue. Lads were getting their places based on previous performances or the previous year, you know. Daly was a great man for trusting someone to just bring it out on the day, even if they hadn't done it in, you know, the recent past. And I think Jerry came in and was a lot more cutthroat in that respect than, you know, with the playing people who were playing well and, you know, he stuck by that through his tenure and um, you know, probably alienated a couple of people through it, but you know, that's it. Uh, in terms of Jerry um, kind of stepping away, and I know you probably don't have like candidates in mind yourself as to who might take over, but like, what is the situation there at the moment, and how do the players, I suppose, as a as a squad, as a collective, feel about it? Well, how we feel about it was, you know, the leadership group have gotten together and we've had a ch chat with John Costello about it, and you know he's going to proceed. I think there's they put together a small committee basically and and go forward from there. I mean. John himself has barely made any inroads thus far, you know, so all the names being bandied about are pure conjecture. She heard Derek McGraw was a dead cert to get it before he came out and said it was all rumours, you know. I so think he said that his mother was coming to mass and someone told her that, yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> that he was definitely going to Dublin. So there's a lot, just a lot of rumour and pure speculation about that now, so I wouldn't pay much heed to it. You didn't go in with uh, to John Costello with a short list of any description, or have, you, have, you, have the players got names in mind that maybe you might have asked him to uh, make contact with? Uh, well, like, I mean, there's several obvious candidates. I mean, Maddie Kenny is the first man to win an All-Ireland with a Dublin club, is it, you know, I don't know, in generations, you know. So he's to the fore, I'm sure. The cool lads are very happy with him. But you know, having said that, there are several different names in the hat. So you know, we won't, I won't uh, reveal all too early. The big thing for you, I presume, is that it just gets sorted, you know, that it doesn't drag on. I mean, would you... Like is it a, is the big thing for a player that maybe around September or the October time that you have an idea and you can 
that whoever it is can start kind of planning ahead and kind of kick on for the 2018? Yeah, and moving early is, is massively important. I think for me anyway, you really want a management team, like selectors and everything in place for club championship if possible. Because particularly if they're not too familiar with the Dublin scene and all this people being rumoured, you know, are pretty familiar with it. But, you know, if you were to come with, come with someone from left field, you know, they mightn't have any prior experience. They might know, you know, the depth of players out there. So, you know, they really would want to be watching a lot of club games. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, uh, we might reflect on the weekend's action then. Uh, as we said, most of the, <laughs> the action was found in hurling. Uh, keep your comments coming in, by the way, for Liam, if you have questions or uh, anything you'd like to say to ourselves about the weekend. Um, I'm going to put a slight dampener on things like, you know, I, I'm kind of wondering <laughs> about that game between Galway and Tipperary. Like, did we go overboard a small bit describing how monumental an occasion it was? Or maybe not an occasion, it was a monumental occasion. But in terms of the quality of the game, like it seemed like the last 20 minutes kind of saved it from being a physical but maybe unspectacular game early. I think it depends what you're looking for. I mean, like some people want you know, a massive shootout, like you know, the, the Kilkenny tip game 2014 or Cork tip this year, you know, really, really high scoring. and. I remember some people after that game complained that the defending wasn't up to scratch, that it was a bit too loose and too open. Uh, I thought there were some mistakes on both sides, all right, but I think a lot of that there was like really heavy rain kind of just before the minor game, and mm -hmm. you saw the minor game in particular. Players were struggling for f footing, and certain players in the senior game that's touched, you know, they expect to be really, really sharp. They weren't getting the ball up as quickly, but I thought it was just a brilliant battle. And I mean, I suppose there's a distinction there between a great game and a great contest, but maybe a part of it is coloured by the fact people, the games people watch elsewhere over the weekend. <laughs> that you know, Dublin Tyrone pretty one-sided on Saturday, Mayo one-sided yesterday, so it was the only game over the weekend when the result was in doubt until the final whistle, but uh, the last 20 minutes probably did elevate it, I mean, because I thought there was a couple of stages when Galway were going to pull away, but they Tipperary in fairness hung in there maybe on a day when their forwards weren't quite getting to the, the heights that we saw against Clare, um, I, th I thought the last 20 minutes especially was just absolutely fantastic to watch, yeah, like you said, maybe not the best hurling, but as a contest and as a battle, I thought it was well up there. Yeah, Liam, like a fitting ending as well, I think, for a game like that, one that will live long in the memory regardless. I think it largely will due to a big player producing a big moment to uh, and a big decisive moment at that in, in Joe Canning's winning score. Yeah, like, I mean, look, it was unbelievable leadership, I suppose, on his behalf. Um, especially he had a slow first half, hit a, an easily scored free for him, you know, by his standards off the post. Kind of Cooney picked it up, chipped it over another run wide, scuts a few sidelines, gets a yellow card, looked like in frustration and then just came roaring back into it the second half. The last 10 minutes, I think it was massive point from play, huge free, massive point from play, huge free and then the final point from play. So, you know, it was an unbelievable show by him. Yeah, because I think one of the most interesting stats was that after the 51st minute, no other goal that player scored, like he scored their last five points. Mm -hmm. and He took over, like. Like he, take, he gets the most attention of the goal, and that's probably been ever since he made the debut in 2008, but I think it was, you know, sometimes he starts really well in games and maybe teams get to grips with him as, as it goes on, but I think it was probably his best closing finish uh, to a game that we've seen. Um, and it was interesting afterwards, he was asked, I think it was on RTE, about the, the point. And the first thing he said was that, well, you know, I missed one against Waterford a few years ago. We actually checked it out. That game was 2009 when they lost by a point and he missed one in Thurless. But just interesting that maybe that's... A few still, years ago. That's, but that's still playing on his mind. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. that he still thinks about maybe cert certain misses and maybe in his, it was a bit of personal kind of, I don't know, vindication or kind of setting the record straight. Um, and I mean, look, you know, the, the tag, the best hurler in Everton and All-Ireland currently playing, you know, that's kind of followed him around. And probably, I don't know what you, what you think of this team, but he probably gets judged maybe by different standards to others and that... There is just this expectation that every day he, he has to shoot the lights out or else it's a, it's a poor performance. 
Yeah, that's probably changed uh, this year, I think. Uh, Michael Dunhu kind of has you know, envisioned a different role from him. He's much more the creator uh, for the whole year. You know, he's tracking back a lot more and probably does take a lot of pressure off him. You know? I mean, they're probably judging him based on intercepts and breaking balls and passes delivered rather than outright scoring him. I mean, which for the last six or seven years, if Joe didn't fire, Galway were in trouble. But now, you know, they're after developing a serious forward line. Anyone, I mean, they've, they're almost like the Dublin footballers. Galway now have seven or eight shooters who can just score. You know, if you give them a yard of space, they're going to score, you know, so they're going to punish you. So it does take a massive amount of pressure off him, you know. So against it, obviously, the, it's probably the scoring rate probably isn't the same as it was six or seven years ago, but it doesn't need to be, and the results are probably better overall. Did you notice that in, when you played him in Tullamore in May, that he was kind of, you know, creating things a bit more and kind of looking to, to send deliveries inside? Was that a bit of a difference compared to a few years ago? When yeah, well, like, I mean, even those last couple of points I mentioned, you said this, you know, in terms of, like, technical execution, the game probably wasn't as good as it had been, or as, as you would see, you know, maybe the, like the Cork Tipperary game earlier in the year was 50 scores or something like that, you know, so it's a bit different, but because of the, so there was such pressure on everyone once they got the ball, you know, both teams kind of resorted to just getting it out of danger, playing safety first, but, you know, toward the end, with that massive point Joe scored, I think around his own 65, someone finally actually got the head up, gave him a short ball yeah, and over the bar, and there's nothing Ronan Mark can do about that. Now, Galway would probably like to see him do it a lot more and he's well capable of doing it, but you know, there was such pressure on the lads couldn't get their head up, and you know, whoever they reach in the final or meeting the final would probably be similar. Do you? A, a couple of tweets came out afterwards about Canning and like how he had been speaking to major publications or national publications, and maybe there's almost like a taboo around this with players going into big games in Crow Park, like you know, don't do any talking. Canning's always been fairly forthright and forthcoming with the media, and I think it, it's probably worth highlighting as well, like that had he. Had Galway lost that game, people probably would have dragged that up, Fintan, and, and said like, ah, "Well, you know, he's coming out doing all these interviews, and uh, and they didn't get over the line again." But from your perspective, then, Liam, like as a player, do you mind doing that sort of stuff? Like actually speaking about a game before a game, and do you think that maybe this perception that it can affect your performance on the day is true, or is it a nonsense? Oh, it's an absolute nonsense. Uh, complete and utter nonsense. I mean. In hindsight, people will seize on anything. Uh, you'd often come across, like, say, if you're going back over a game, people will start talking about the warm-up or the bus journey or any old thing because you know they're just looking for an answer. You know, so yeah, it probably would have been seized upon. But that interview was probably done a week previous. Yeah, or I, think, or I think it was done a few weeks previous. Yeah, actually, exactly. Yeah. You know, so those answers are a long. Those questions and answers are a long way from his mind. You know, so I think you know there's a, there's a strange like dichotomy there in in GA and in the media like. If you put yourself out there, a la Aidan O'Shea, you know you're liable to get to get shot back down, you know, and it's just it's just a bit of the classic Irish psyche, I think, you know, pulling each other down. Whereas, you know, look, if you want more and better coverage, similar to the professional sports, you know, you should be praising these lads for coming out and sharing a bit of their story. Is it is it a begrudgery thing? When you talk about like kind of the Irish, you know, like you see someone I suppose kind of getting a bit of profile and people just like to have a pop at them. Like you mentioned Aidan O'Shea, like his performances in the last few weeks have been absolutely brilliant, but earlier in the year he was probably not, not, like, not, not something that he wanted to get dragged into, but it seemed a bit ridiculous to, to kind of talk about. Yeah, well, I suppose you probably have a, a younger generation of player there coming through who are just much more used to 24-7 media and having more dealings with them. And, you know, it just doesn't bother them near as much. They do their media interviews, park it, and away you go. Whereas, you know, maybe... I think in Aidan O'Shea's case, it was Bernard Finn came out from a different generation, felt like having a go at him. But you know, who gave Bernard the platform? You know, so he's engaging as well. He's using the same 
the same media platform as Aiden. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> probably fair enough. It did kind of come out of nowhere, the Aiden or Shea thing, and like you mentioned there, um, is it a begrudgery thing? It seems to be sometimes just these big characters within the game as well, you know what I mean? As you mentioned, maybe the, the fact that they get a profile, and like, I suppose then you, you almost don't necessarily have a right of reply, because when that stuff comes out, it's kind of like, well, look, let's stay away from the media now and just mm. ignore that. And you sometimes wonder, would players like to come out and just say, listen, you're talking absolute hoop here. Yeah, like it's, a, it's a double-edged sword. Players use it to build a profile, you know, to realistically make some financial gain out of it. Why not? You know, you're probably working in, you know, you're probably not committing as much as you would to your professional life if you weren't doing it. So you might as well make something on the side from it, you know. But at the same time, you are opening yourself to criticism. And everyone understands that. I'd say, hey, Joe, any one of those lads, you know, it's not going to bother them. I'd say they don't pay it much heed. It's just... It's more other people forcing the question on you, really, that, that bothers you. I think part of it almost as well, like those two counties have come so close to winning the All Ireland, but because they haven't, maybe there's a kind of a view out there, like you know, that they shouldn't be talking because mm. they, <laughs> they, don't, they don't have the medal in the back pocket, you know. But I mean, if you look from the hurling point of view, like Tipperary, okay, they've won All Irelands, but they've got a lot of criticism because they didn't do back to back and all this. But when you look at, it, there's only one county that has consistently done it over the last 20 years, and that's Kilkenny getting two in a row, and three in a row together like that. So. Um, you know, there can only be one team win it every September, but it seems that you know, it's the it's the thing that if you if if you don't do it, then you know you almost you know pipe down that uh, you, you don't have anything to be talking about, which seems a kind of a strange way of uh, viewing it. Yeah, you mentioned like Tip not winning back to back All Ireland's there, and and Tip probably find themselves at a strange enough juncture now in the sense that for all the talk coming into the game, that like I mean you wouldn't say they were written off necessarily, but obviously there was like people going back looking at the league and things like that. And yet, like, in defeat, and it was only one-point defeat, they kind of proved their mettle in a sense, and they proved a, a sense of togetherness that maybe people weren't quite sure outside of Tipperary as to whether they had it. So it's, it's a strange one. Obviously, they walk away absolutely galled by having lost the game, but I'm not sure they, couldn't have, they could have done much more on the day. And I think they were just beaten by a slightly better team again on the day. Yeah, I mean, these two teams always have seemed to produce titanic clashes. You know, they're just really evenly matched, simple as that. Um, I think Galway probably learned a bit more from the last encounter than, than Tip did. They've, they're set up very well defensively. Any, any snapshot, even when Tipperary are bearing through on goal, they're very similar to Kilkenny a few years ago. Anyone taking a shot on goal, there's two, three, four men around them, you know, trying to get the dive and block and hook in. So, you know, they're probably, I think Galway certainly progressed more tactically over the past three, four years than Tipperary have. Tipperary can operate in the same template they have been exact same as last year and you know look it brought huge success last year didn't work as well this year probably you know down to personnel matchups maybe this year I think um, like Dahi Burke just you know he's he had a storm or t you could clearly see Tipperary right Tipperary isolated Callanan and they almost sacrificed bubbles to do so it's similar to what they did on the last occasion when Callanan went out and scored 210 or something massive score from play um, I just don't think it worked as well this time because Galway put such pressure on them a lot of it was just high ball you know whereas before there's kind of an angle to it or it's a bit more driven it ended up just looking like long ball in you know and Dahi Burke's a strong man so it was, it was very hard to get much change out of him. You compared like to 2015 like you know Paul Mannion started that day at fullback and Canning got the hatchery against him and it was John Hambry went to him whereas you look at Sunday, Paul Mannion played right off back looks far more comfortable there and then Dahi Burke has obviously gone back from I think he was left off back two years ago and kind of bedded it down there. Um, and I mean, I think the big thing for Galway is that they wanted to, okay, they conceded 
the goal in the first half and they looked a bit shaky but if you think back to last year it was the last 10 minutes they've got those two goals and they just carved them open but the amount of balls raining down on the goal of the defence in the last five minutes but they were just far more resolute on this occasion I think the very last one you know Burke brilliant burning catch someone like Adrian Toohey's made an impression alongside him and then Garrod McInerney I think for me is the big the big difference I mean like going back over the last decade centre back has been the problem position for them and you look at like if Bonamarca gets a foothold in the game it really gives Tip that platform for the rest of them but he just I don't think he was able to make as much of an impact simply because McInerney was so dominant there. Yeah up the other end of the field then guys um, Raymond O'Malley has a question here he asks uh, will the lack of goal scoring in the last few Galway matches be a worry ahead of the All-Ireland final? It won't as long as they don't concede as long as they keep going as they are People are talking about lack of goal scoring. How many have they conceded? You know, not a lot. Now I know they gave away a couple of chances to Tipperary, but a couple of those, two of them definitely were by their own error. Mm. They weren't. They weren't. Yeah, they weren't majestic moves. They were missed touches that really should have been controlled. You know, Adrian Tui went to control the ball going across his goal. He'd never do that. He whip it outside line. You know, I'm sure it'll be said. I'm sure it hasn't said to him in commentary. You know, so they were they were properly watertight, and you know. If you look at it this year, like they're just, I suppose being a defender, you know, it's very obvious to me, that particularly Garrod McInerney, they're sitting a lot deeper, you know, they're keeping their lines much closer together and they're bringing their half forward line back. So, you know, I, if they can keep that going, I mean, you mightn't see a goal at all in the other final. That's, that's, that's just how it is. Like, um, I, think, I think they're creating chances and, you know, they're just, like, they could have had three goals there. Like, mm. by, a, by a miss two, by a whisker, you know, Connor Cooney's would have been contender for goal of the year and actually if you look at that goal one of the few chances created it was one of the first times I think it was uh, it wasn't Dahi Burke it was, I'm not sure who delivered the ball but they actually managed to get their, their head up in the Galway half back line it was the first time it was an unpressured delivery lovely ball in Conor Cooney takes it turns wide open he just you know he almost went for a shot that was too perfect you know yeah yeah big time um, Jarrett Garvey asks here actually who is the hurler of the year so far? I think Joe's the favourite of the bookmakers, but one player said for me is probably going to uh, probably a big contender for the young hurler of the year is Conor Whelan. You know, I think overall he's been maybe a bit quiet in the Leinster final, but I think in all the two games before that he was excellent. I think he got seven points in play against Offaly. Um, and I mean, what, like really, really good start on Sunday, and then I think there was one of the points he got which I thought was fantastic. Really, he was 21. There was like three temporary defenders, but he still managed to get down to get it, just maybe just after half time and hit a really, really good point. Um, and I think he just offers them everything, you know, ball winning, you know, he's really, really sharp, really good angles of running and he's like chipping with three or four points in play every game. So, you know, I think he's been brilliant consistently through it so far this year for Gola. Yeah, anyone outside of Galway, Liam, that you'd be looking at? Yeah, well, I'll add to one more Connor there from, from Galway again, Connor Cooney, very mm -hmm. strong, very strong all through the league, you know, so he's just, he's, he's motored along very well. Uh, a third Connor, I suppose, uh, Lahan, like he is, you know, he's the flag bearer down in Cork, he just seems to be their leader this year out of nowhere, you know, so he's playing a similar role to Joe, getting deep, you know, he's connecting the, two, the midfield and the halfback line with the forwards, but he's, he's carrying a lot more, you know, and just, he's just wreaking havoc, you know, he's so fast out in open space, it's very hard to tackle. Um, I suppose another young player, I think, Conor Williams in 21, isn't he? Yeah, he's going to be playing a Saturday weekend. Yeah, I mean, another, another rival for young Hurley, I suppose a lot's going to be decided over the next semi-final and the final. Um, Mark Coleman at wing yeah. back there for Cork has just been unbelievable. Like it's it's mad how well he's played, how settled he looks, um, and I can see I I've, I can just see the you know the Waterford thought process and, and the Tipperary in, in in the in the last games in Munster. They're just you know right as soon as he gets on it, you know hit him early. He's 
he's much lighter, you know, bury him, knock him back, and, and we'll make the physical count tell. But he's so hard to hit. He like bounces. He's just, he's he just, as well yeah, as well. he's just dodging. Yeah. Very, like, I mean, he's reminiscent of Tommy Walsh. He's just, everyone would have said that earlier in his career as well. You know, he's so light, the hits will tell. But you can't hit him, you know, so he's just absolutely flying. He has this move as well where he kind of spins away at yeah, 360. Yeah. I think Claire, I think it was a Tony Kelly, but they were trying to nail him at one stage of the, the once final. He just did this spin away, angled it away to Patrick Ogden put over the bar. And that's the other thing, Zola. He never really looks to you know, take long range shots. He's always just thinking about the delivery into the attack rather mm -hmm. than maybe the, the big high ball that kind of forwards don't want. Yeah, big time. We'll uh, get on to Cork and Waterford very shortly. Yeah, the one. I think from the uh, Galway Tip game that we haven't brought up yet is that incident, if it even really was an incident, with Adrian Tui. Uh, the Sunday game brought it up, Fintan, and you kind of get the impression these days that they're like, I suppose they were almost forced to bring up every little skirmish or every minor incident like this, probably since the Dermot Connolly thing, to be honest. And you're kind of wondering, like, is that really worth a guy missing an Ireland final for? And was there even intent? Because the rule is that it has to be intentional. Yeah, like the key word in the rule is deliberate. And I mean, like, too, he was kind of running back towards his own goal. He wasn't even looking at him. I mean, to my mind, it was literally just a defender looking to break away from a forward and just putting his hand back to kind of push him away. I don't think he was really trying to tamper with his helmet. Maybe it was in the, like, obviously, the tight work incident is going to the DRA now on Thursday. So obviously, that's very, very topical at the moment, so, you know, interest of balance and fairness that this, this incident was highlighted, but I just don't think there's any way you can prove that that was, that especially, one especially was deliberate when he wasn't even looking uh, at Bonnermar, um, and I'd be pretty surprised, to be honest, if he ends up being nailed for it and missing the, missing the final. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully he escapes punishment, uh, we'll see how that one plays out. Uh, Liam, you brought up Conor Lee Han there a minute ago uh, last week. Uh, we heard from Daniel Flynn, the Kildare footballer, on his uh, GA hero growing up. Uh, we also caught up with Connerly Han recently, who uh, gave a kind of a left field suggestion for his own hero being a Cork man. Uh, let's hear what Connor had to say here now. Uh, when I was younger, in terms of like looking up to Cork. Players, it was obviously like the Diarmas and the O'Connors and Sean O'Hag and Jodine, players like that. Um, but I'd say my, the one I looked up to the most was, uh, I'd say, Owen Kelly from Tipperary was going to, because I remember meeting him like at a camp years ago and I just, you know, since then I just, uh, I was obsessed the way he played and just wanted to be kind of just like him. So I was, I kinda, he was probably my main hero growing up. Um, I suppose growing up myself from my own club then, um, so I really looked up to Luke O'Farrell, you know, in my own club. He's a, uh, he was a great leader growing up, you know, he was a couple of years older than me, like so he was a he was a big man in the club at the time, so I kinda looked up to him a lot. Um then outside the sport really I was I was gonna uh, maybe I had a big interest in the NBA kinda growing up as well, like so just the usual kind of little Ron James kind of Michael Jordan kind of thing I went through phases of that as well like but uh, in terms of GA and kind of sport it was mainly kind of around cock bears and, and own Kelly then so they're my main man. Uh, yeah I did sure I was getting the tip jerseys and everything like and getting the number on the back and all that I'm sure you get the same helmet and all that like you know, when you're young you'd be doing all that as well like but no I everyone, at the time everyone loved them as well like so uh, but like obviously I would be bossing about it too much when it came to the championship. Owen Kelly, yeah? It's a bit of a strange one. I'm not sure the people of Cork would be too quick to forgive Conor Leanne, although, you know, you never know. Uh, the end of the, the end of next month, I'm sure all, all might be forgiven. Um, Galway, obviously, in the All-Ireland final now. Uh, it's between Cork and Waterford. Who will join them, Liam? It's kind of a difficult one, I think. Sometimes when teams have already played, usually the losing team, it's like the onus is on them to catch that, that victorious team previously on the hop. And, like, I suppose... 
a losing team tends to learn more from a defeat than a winning team will learn in victory. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, you definitely are. Um, I suppose, as well as that, like at this level, kind of just motivation is a massive factor because you know there are similar skill sets among a lot of the players. They're, they're, they're all top-level players, but it's such easy motivation to be able to say, you know, think of the hurt and the anguish and you know the abuse. I suppose you probably got from your own fans in different sections over losing the last game. You know, so it's easy to just say, look, we need to make amends for, you know whatever, five, six, seven weeks ago. So you know, there's certainly a bit of an edge there. I think you know, on that day, Waterford just, just didn't perform. Um, and Cork did. Like Cork had, I think it was Waterford's first game, wasn't it? And Cork had already hit the ground running against Tipperary. Um, they just looked, they were just caught cold, you know. It was a very, very warm day as well. And Tip, or sorry, Waterford are a much bigger team physically, you know. And you know, that can take its toll, carrying a much bigger body around compared to, you know, like, Cork have a lot of Mark like, yeah, yeah, a, a lot of Mark Coleman's, a lot of a lot of uh, you know quick wiry players. So you know, and in, in the wide spaces of Thurles, it probably suited them that day. Yeah, what do you reckon, Finton? Like, how do you think both teams are fixed? Obviously, Tyke de Borca should be a massive loss, or depending on how that uh, kind of turns out. But I suppose, like again, like with the onus being a Waterford to improve. You're kind of wondering, right? So if Waterford brings something else to the table and, and have uh, improved drastically, we still, even though Cork have had three very impressive victories, we kind of don't know what they have in the tank because they've, that's probably unfair to say they've just about gotten over the line, but they've done enough and they haven't maybe been tested to the extent that they might be tested in an Ireland final in Crow Park where the likes of Coleman, Shane Kingston haven't really played. I think they've been really impressive. I think the one thing that we haven't seen is they haven't really come behind in games and had to come back. I mean, I think Tip went ahead of, of them by a point, but very quickly after that John McGrath goal, Corker got level. But I mean, they kind of made their running from the start against both Waterford and Clare. So around that kind of maybe 15 to 25 minute mark, they don't, they've built up a three point, four point lead in both games so far. So it'll be interesting to see if they're, if, if they're behind kind of at half time, you know, how will they kind of be able to respond. Uh, if the book is a loss, out, I think he's a massive loss for Waterford. I think it's too, Simplistic say, oh, you know, he's a spare man, he just hits the ball. I think he's so intelligent on the ball, his position, his awareness. I mean, the Kilkenny game, he was absolutely outstanding. And, and his deliveries, his clearances are really, really good. You'd imagine they'd probably maybe slot Darrafoyes back into there. I mean, you'd be very surprised if they suddenly, because the book has gone, they don't go with the sweeper and they try and go man to man. Um, and then I suppose it'd be interesting then to see what they do further up the pitch. Does that mean they start Mara Shanahan? Uh, does it mean they start Stephen Bennett? So it's a bit of a quandary. and probably not ideal for them the fact that they're going to go into Thursday and it still won't be definitely known whether he's available or not I don't know what the things in terms of for the other players but it's entirely ideal when you're still probably not 100% sure whether one of your key players is going to be available and can that affect the squad a bit? Yeah, it definitely can I mean Waterford will want certainty over that I think they got it didn't he? his second appeal got rejected did it? Yep, but he's taking it now to the, to the oh, DRA, he's taking it to the DRA yeah. now so you know that's that is it's a bit of a nuisance like you really want that stuff clarified because there will be questions you know there will be team selection issues and you know going into a game you at least want to know by Thursday you know who will be playing where mm. um, well personally I think you know it's like I just think that it's a misinterpretation of that rule I know he did put his hand in his face guard but like I think that rule was brought in because there was an epidemic of skirmishes wherein players were pulling the helmets yeah. off each other you know and it's it's similar to the Adrian Tui incident like he didn't go to pull the helmet off him during a row or while he had possession, it was just, you know, it was just, it was nothing, it was a non-incident, you know. I think common sense should prevail, he should be allowed to play. If he can't, uh, he's the best man for that role. And I think, I don't see them playing without that role, so there will be someone else in there, and I think the team will be weakened by it not being him. 
executing it. I think a lot of it is going to come down to uh, the other end of the field for Waterford. They need more contributors on the day, and they have the forwards, but they just need, you know, they need multiple scores from, you know, the likes of, the, of both Bennetts and Ozzy Gleeson just needs to keep going the way he is. They need contribution from Brick and from Kevin Moore, and they just need more lads on the scoreboard because you might keep a couple of Cork forwards quiet, but there's, you know, six serious scoring forwards there that will do damage. Yeah, I, th I think that's the big question mark, whether off, you know, a Waterford forward can score three or four points in play. I mean, we know Park Manny will probably get, you know, his usual seven, eight, nine points from freeze, mm -hmm. but I think it was Jimmy Barron, midfielder, got one three from play against Kilkenny. It was Kevin Warren, a midfielder, who got one three from play against Wexford. So it, it's just, you know, it's, it's not so much the criticism of, you know, do Waterford score enough, but I just, I, I just think they're just going to need a forward to kind of to kind of cut loose a bit. The two things probably in their favour are that the Cork game was their first game in 11 weeks when they played in the most semi-final, so they could put down to a little bit of inactivity there. And you imagine, I mean, we saw last week, Tip learned a lot from the league final and it was a far different game and they had that hurt that Liam spoke about. You imagine Waterford, like, they took a lot of criticism in the county. I mean, Derek McGrath, you know, said that it was a really, really bad reaction inside. So you imagine they have a bit of momentum now and they have a bit of, bit of hurt from that game so that they'll want to, to kind of readjust the record. Yeah, big time. Uh, Liam, I'm interested to hear your perspective on Cork generally, I suppose, given their struggles for the last couple of years. And they've, I suppose, the wider perception of it is that they've come from nowhere, in a sense, because there was probably no sign of this 12 months ago that, that Cork would be in, and even a semi-final with a decent chance of reaching an All-Ireland final. And for a side like yourselves, and you mentioned you guys had a disappointing season, but it just kind of shows how quickly things can turn around. I know, like, speaking to Conor Leanne and that, video we played a minute ago, he was speaking about how the squad kind of defined their roles more at the start of the year and they just understood more collectively where you had to be at certain times and how it's just completely transformed their form and I wonder can you you look at teams like Cork and kind of think that can be us in a couple of months time. Yeah well just Cork's new players took exceptionally quick, I mean they just they just settled so quick. The difference in two years is just four players, new cornerback, new wingback, new midfielder, and new wing forward. You know, I suppose it is almost a third-year team, but th you couldn't envisage those four players settling so quickly and performing as well as they have. Um, as well, like the standout thing is really, f like from uh, the last year, probably the year before that, is how hard Cork's forwards are working. You know, there's a lot of talk on you know how much better the the backs are performing as a unit, but a lot of that is because the ball coming in is just a lot worse. Mm. You know, against Tipperary, you know, a lot of aimless ball, a lot of high ball. You know, Cahalan's a big, strong man. He's well able to, to handle high ball. And, and that's coming from just the pure work rate of, of Kingston, uh, Lahan and Mengus uh, Arnold playing wing forward, you know. So there's just, there's just no uncontested strikes coming out of the opposition backline, you know, or definitely nothing directed that'll do real damage. So if they can keep that up, and it, I mean, it's punishing work being in the half forward line, working back and looking at them, they are three, probably Cork's three fittest players and there's a reason they're playing there, you know, they're shuttling constantly between the, the, their attack in 45 and the midfield in their own 65, you know, so it's, it's punishing work, but, you know, look at Lahan, he's able to do it. Another point you'd have to make is they've been virtually injury-free. I know Lahan was touch and go there for a bit, but have they, you know, have they changed? Have they had an injury-induced substitution? I don't think so, you know, and having your 15 starters ready to go every day, week in, week out, is, is an unbelievable luxury. Yeah, big time. Uh, I suppose before we touch on football, lads, I might ask you to make a call on it. I'll start with you, Fintan. Who do you reckon is uh, going to face Galway? Uh, 
on, on the basis of the workers out, I think I think Cork will, will be able to share that. You know, in fairness, they haven't put a foot wrong. I mean, they've three championship wins under their belts. And the other thing I think about them is that a lot of this team played in 2014, and they were pretty scared by how much they underperformed in the Munster All Ireland semi final. Then, but they didn't really cope with the five week break well. Uh, Kieran Kingston was the selector then, so I mean, like it was noticeable after the Munster final with all the celebrations, he was looking to dampen it down. And I think they know that they have to get it right this time, and they have to put in a performance. So I think it'll be a Cork All Ireland final. Yeah, I'll go with Cork. I mean, the wide expanses suit them. Cork Park is just like Thurless. You know, they're so fast. Even with an extra player, they'll be difficult to contain. So I'll, I'll go with, with Cork on that base. I'm just on their form. It's fantastic. Yeah, we'll see how it pans out. Uh, let's chat football briefly before we wrap up, fellas. I mean, some of it was putrid viewing, frankly speaking. I know we had a comment actually in talking about the uh, Cork ladies who had a great win against Manon yesterday and uh, singling the one, it. The one close game over the <laughs> weekend. <laughs> the only entertaining game of football, I, I would have said, uh, Orla Finn, fantastic. Emer Scali, fantastic. Um, in terms of the men's uh, fixtures, they were kind of turned out to be massacres. And... Um, I suppose the one thing you can say is that the uh, the big three became a big four again, which is uh, which bodes well for a semi final. Yeah, look, Dublin did what Dublin do on Saturday night. You know, I don't think there's any surprise there. But I think the two big statements of the tent were Mayo getting back to form and Tyrone winning that comfortably in Crow Park. I mean, we saw what they did last year against Mayo. They kind of they couldn't get the scores on the board when they hit 12 points. I think the goal um, on Saturday was their first I think, uh, from open play in Crow Park in nine years or something. Some unbelievable stat. So it's obviously been a, a criticism level at them, you know. But I think it set the stage for two great semi-finals. But it was it was really disappointing the kind of the lack of contests. Um, and I mean, Liam would probably be well able to talk about this, but it just seems in hurling that there's a bit more bunch and it's a bit more competitive and you know, there's a bit more of a levelling of the playing pack, but it just looks there's three or four sides in football that are just accelerating clear in terms of conditioning, um, just their tactical setup and, and everything, and there's, there's a real gap that they're in there at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I'd put that gulf you know, just down to pure talent. It's as simple as that. Um, Probably being from Dublin, I'm sick of hearing how it's our financial resources <laughs> that are driving everything. You know, I mean, Mayo and Kerry and Tyrone probably have much fewer resources. I mean, it's just it comes down. You know, money isn't going to allow you to reverse time and go back to when this fellow was ten and teach him to kick with his left foot. You know, it's just those four teams just have top quality players, and there's no amount of kind of tactics or systems or weightlifting that's going to you know improve you as a footballer. It's just get the basics right and um, the standout teams like Kerry and Dublin the most scorers that's it like you need to you can defend your way to an All-Ireland to an extent but against that many scorers you're going to need something down the other pitch I mean Tyrone are developing they're, they're, they're going to they'll need a serious performance probably top level and maybe don't do a bit off their game to do it but you know it's definitely doable it's not in semi-final yeah because that's probably the question mark about Toronto Mayo the kind of the scoring options like we saw it at the weekend but it's it's going to need something similar whereas we, we know and you can trust that you know the likes of Rock, you know, Brogan, if he comes off the bench, Conor Callaghan, they're going to score for Dublin. The Paul Ganey and James O'Donoghue are going to score for Kerry. So, yeah. I mean, they're both favoured to win their respective semi-finals. But the question for the two other sides, I suppose, the underdogs, me and Tyrone, is whether they can get that kind of that kind of score in return. It's a beautiful position for Kerry to be in as well after yesterday because the amount of yarrowing, yarrowing they can do. It's absolutely perfect. I mean, if Mayo had scraped over yesterday, you know, it would have been maybe a difficult... Of trying to get their heads right, but yeah, I agree. I think it's like it's perfect for them now. They can talk Mayo up for the next uh, next week and a half. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, you reckon Dublin will just about get over the line against Tyrone? <sighs> Unless Mickey Hart has a couple of tricks up his sleeve, um, it's going to be it's going to be a very close game. I mean, obviously, but I think if both teams 
performs the potential. I just think Dublin will shade it. You know, Tyrone are phenomenal, phenomenal on defence, but Dublin will be as well. And I just think you're going to, like, you saw Mayo last year. They literally tried to defend their way to All Ireland and they almost managed it, you know. I think Tyrone might do the same, but, you know, it didn't work for Mayo last year. You're going to need someone to chip in massively on the day, or you're just going to need several different scorers. And, you know, Mayo could well produce it. They, they do have four or five top scorers, not as many as Dublin, but you never know. Yeah, Vinton, uh, Mayo Kerry, very briefly, do you fancy Kerry to just about do it? Yeah, I, I think I'd say the same for Dublin Tyrone. I think Dublin Kerry will finally get probably their biggest test of the season, but I think we're going to end up with a lot of the final repeat of the, the league final for Maple. How about sure. We'll see how that one plays out. Uh, that is all we've got time for here on the GA Show on the 42.ie. Uh, thanks a million to yourself, Ian, for coming in. We'll speak to you soon. Uh, we'll be back around this time next week, and until then, take it easy.